Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. You may have noticed last week I didn't put a podcast up, and that's because I was sick. In fact, I've sort of been sick all throughout the Advent season. It's kind of been a bummer. Uh, I'm still not totally better. My uh, voice is not uh, 100% great. It's not COVID, by the way. It doesn't seem to be. Um, but, uh, you know, I had had some voice issues and other things. I actually tried last week a couple times to record it, and it just didn't come out. So I'm like, I just got to bag uh, this one. And in fact, it's probably going to be a shorty today uh, because I actually have to save my voice a bit for a Zoom call coming up at noon. Actually, it's my first member Zoom. Uh, so for those of you who are members, I hope you'll enjoy that. And it's a good reminder uh, to, again, uh, remind you that through the end of the year, I'm running a special promotional rate. For a limited time only, you can become a member or a subscriber at a special rate. Subscribers, uh, you can become a subscriber at $5 a month. It's going to be regular $10 in 2022. We're going to have exclusive content, transcripts of these podcasts, um, uh, audio versions of the old archives of the masculinist as, as I record them. And uh, that'll be all on Substack as I move there next year. And then members, I'm going to be doing special Zooms. We're going to be having a Slack channel. There's going to be a, a lot of great stuff there. And you can get on that for $35 a month through the end of the year. Um, $50 a month, uh, it, it will go up on January 1st. So check that out. It's probably too late for you to get on today's Zoom, but I am going to record it. So if you sign up, you'll probably be able to hear the recording. So please consider that. I'll put links in the show notes. Today, I want to do a podcast on... Catholic integralism and why it's an op. I'm not quite sure if it's pronounced integralism, is it integralism? Not really sure. Uh, but I want to talk about Catholic integralism and why it is an op. Now, I want to be very clear up front uh, that I'm not anti Catholic. I am a Protestant. I think we're right. Uh, but I would certainly affirm that Catholics who put their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation are Christian. I'm not one of these Catholic bashers at all. I think the Catholics are doing a lot of things right, frankly, and in many ways, Catholics are smarter, uh, and we need to step up our game. However, Catholic integralism uh, is a different story, and so I want to dive into that today. Well, what is Catholic integralism? Well, you can go Google it and find out more for yourself. It means it seems to mean different things to different people. There's an entire Wikipedia page on it. But basically, Catholic integralism is this belief system that says the law's policy and culture of a country should be consistent with Catholic teaching, informed by Catholic teaching. Other people seem uh, to believe, uh, you know, government should ultimately be subject to the Pope. They don't really believe in the separation of church and state. There's a website called the Josias. Uh, it's J-O-S-I-A-S, -I, I think, that is the main site for a lot of these guys and their writings. You can check that out. Uh, but ultimately, these guys want to create essentially a Catholic state. And so uh, why would I care about these guys? Well, um, they're getting a lot of mind shares. We'll talk about in a minute. So what do I mean when I say that Catholic integralism is an op? So to say something is an op would mean that some group like the CIA or a big-time donor created it, is funding it, boosting it, or manipulating and using it in order to accomplish some ulterior objective. Now, do I believe that Catholic integralism is an op in that literal sense of the word? No, I'm not claiming that the CIA made up Catholic integralism. However, I think as a lens, you know, that we can use to examine Catholic integralism, I think the op lens 
uh, kind of gives us an interesting insight to uh, to this and what it is. And so there are a number of things I just want to go through uh, using the op lens to help us make sense of Catholic integralism. And one is the fact that Catholic integralism has gotten a lot of press, gotten a lot of press. I just went out and did a Google, and in the last year, there have been articles mentioning Catholic integralism in an academic paper. There was an academic paper, uh, The American Conservative, New Republic, American Compass, Washington Monthly, America Magazine, I think that's a Jesuit magazine, Law and Liberty, which is the publication of the Liberty Fund, National Review, First Things, Yahoo, even The Guardian, right? And, um, you know, these guys feature prominently at different events. This National Conservatism II conference, so Rob Amari, who's a big integralist, is someone who is a big featured speaker there. So this thing has gotten a lot of press and a lot of mind share um, out there, which I think is interesting. And, and two, uh, I find that particularly interesting in light of the fact that there don't actually seem to be more than a handful of integralists out there. It's an incredibly niche movement to the extent that you would even call it a movement. And I saw this. I was actually speaking at an event in the Washington, D.C. area over the summer, and one of the people who was there said to me, and this was kind of a small event itself, he's like, oh, you know, the, you know, the Catholic integralists are having their event across town. I'm like, oh, really? And then later I saw a uh, picture of the attendees of that event. There were like 10 people, maybe even 10 people. It's crazy. So you, you can probably count the people that you know of as Catholic integralists or people who are sympathetic to that on the fingers of one hand, right? So it's, it's Adrian Vermeule, who is a uh, law professor at Harvard, right? So that's a big name. Sorab Amari, uh, who was formerly, you know, with a variety of conservative publications, wrote his famous, you know, Against David Frenchism piece and First Things. Uh, Gladden Pappen, I believe, he uh, is a professor maybe at the University of Dallas, but he's like the, the kind of number two editor at American Affairs. Uh, you could think of Patrick Deneen. I don't think he's an, an, an integralist, but he was at this conference. He was one of the people who was there, Patrick Deneen, Why Liberalism Failed at Notre Dame. And I believe that uh, J.D. Vance has even spoken um, positively about it, but I, he's not a guy I would really put in that group. He's clearly... Um, uh, kind of got, got his own thing. He's, you know, you don't see him like hanging out with them typically, at least not that I've seen. But the key is there just aren't very many of these people. I mean, if you looked up the article, uh, uh, articles published to number of people who are actually integralist ratio, it, it's probably greater than one. Uh, there just aren't that many people um, there. But what you would see is three, the people that are in the movement are all kind of very well institutionally placed. Now, most of them are people who already had their position when they kind of became integralists. So uh, Adrian Vermeule uh, was a Harvard professor who converted to Catholicism uh, not that long ago uh, and then uh, became this integralist. Similarly with Sorab Amari. I mean, I think Sorab Amari converted to Catholicism about five years ago. Uh, and then, you know, he wrote a book about it, which uh, I haven't read. I think it's called uh, From Fire Through Water or something like that. Uh, you can check it out, his conversion story, if you're interested in it. Uh, but he, uh, you know, then became an, an integralist. Uh, and he's the most interesting one to me because he's now a columnist for the American Conservative magazine. Is apparently, you know, building his own big uh, media company as well. He sort of, sort of intimated uh, on uh, Twitter. And... You know, when you combine, um, you know, small numbers, 
institutionally well pays big share. Uh, this is something that has achieved, again, massive, massive amounts of press and uh, kind of prominence relative to the, you know, again, the tiny niche number of people who are in it. Uh, and you got to ask, oh, why is that? And that's where you would say the Opelens would say, oh, they're being elevated. Now, is that true? Truly saying there's somebody behind them pumping them up? I don't know. I'm not saying that. But it does say, hey, wow, how is it that this tiny group of people has gotten so much mindshare out there? <clears throat> Fourth, I think it's also kind of curious that there's sort of a whiff of neoconservatism uh, about the whole Catholic integralist uh, movement. So Sorab was a hardcore neocon. He worked for Commentary Magazine, which was essentially the neocon Bible, uh, and, and here he is. I mean, he says he's repented, uh, you know, and he's no longer in, into that stuff, but, you know, how many people who turned against neocons, you know, didn't suffer for that? I mean, essentially, there's like a trail of people who've been exiled from the conservative. The whole paleocon movement were essentially exiled from conservatism, on account of uh, going against, you know, the, the neocon line. Uh, and yet that seems not to have happened to so Rob. And in fact, he's, he's done quite well for himself institutionally, which is very consistent with kind of neoconservatism, that they've been very good at worming their way into institutions and essentially almost kind of taking them over. And here we see it's really weird to me that the American conservative, uh, which is a magazine that was founded to oppose the Iraq war by Pat Buchanan and people like that because essentially they were exiled from the conservative movement by the neocons. It was an anti-neocon magazine. They go out and hire a guy who worked for commentary to write for them. I say, I tweeted, it's, it's almost a betrayal of the founding principles of the American conservative for them to do that. So Rob blocked me on Twitter. Apparently he's uh, notorious for that, but whatever. I, I even said in there, I, you know, I'm not opposed to him personally. I, I don't actually have anything against uh, So Rob. I've only met him once, so I don't really know him, but I mean, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about him personally. But this whole, you know, idea that a guy who was an editor at Commentary is now a columnist over there, and it's kind of, they're, they're all colonizing American conservatism. It shows you how good these neocons were at being able to worm their way in and essentially take over organizations. I mean, they could have gone many different ways. They could have gone over to Chronicles, which is in this, you know the the you know most established legacy paleocon uh, publication. They could have got someone who's more in the mold of a Michael Anton uh, to to write for them. But instead, they get this Catholic integralist guy, which I think is is really revealing. And then you look at a guy like Adrian Vermeule. Again, I you know I don't know if you'd per se call him a neocon, but he's basically an open borders guy. I mean, wow, that sounds a little neoconish to me. Um, so, and you know, you don't really see. A opposition to foreign interventionism does not appear to be a hallmark of this integralist thought. That's not to say these people, um, you know, don't necessarily oppose some of these wars. I'm sure some of them do. Uh, but if you look at, say, the, the Trumpist, if you look at the Trumpist line uh, that was very, very popular on sort of this, uh, you know, uh, emerging right wing, what was it about? Immigration restriction rethinking trade and opposition to wars. The uh, integralists don't seem to really be into that, that, that policy suite as much. You know, their economic policies and things are a little different, but, you know, they really kind of got their own thing and they tend to be a little sympathetic, it seems, to open borders and they don't seem to be quite as hostile to foreign interventionism as, say, many of the, the pro-Trump people were. Um, 
so uh, you know the fifth thing you might you might look at this, which I think is kind of related to this whole with a neoconnery, is uh, Adrian Vermeule basically wrote an academic paper that is suggestive of creating an op like Catholic integralism. So he and Cass Sunstein, another big shot, hot shot professor wrote an article, I think it's called Something About Conspiracy Theories. If you want to find it, just Google Adrian Vermeule Cognitive Infiltration, and it's about conspiracy theories and extremist movements. And basically what they do is they call for cognitively infiltrating those movements and to essentially diffuse them from the inside. Um, here's, Here's just a quote from the abstract. Because those who hold conspiracy theories typically suffer from a crippled epistemology in accordance with which it is rational to hold such theories, the best response consists in cognitive infiltration of extremist groups. And I do find it interesting, right, that Catholic integralism could be viewed, in essence, as a form of cognitive infiltration of these sort of new right movements. Uh, it's like, hey, we see all these people out there, they're rethinking conservatism, they've got this more nationalist, populist agenda. Let's go over here and kind of infiltrate that movement cognitively with our own little thing that's designed to do something from the inside. Again, I would just say, I'm not saying this is what he's doing, but when a guy writes a paper about cognitively infiltrating extremist groups and then comes up with, you know, becomes this Catholic integralist guy who seems to have his own kind of radical right wing or however you want to call it, ideologies. Uh, and he's sort of taking up all this mind share and doing all this stuff. Wow, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. And again, I would just say, speaking of which, sixth, point number six would be, not only is Catholic integralism alien to American political and cultural traditions, it is a very extreme ideology. It's an extremist ideology, period. Um, And yet, strangely enough, Catholic integralism and its supporters have been treated very kindly. They're treated as legitimate. They're treated as fully legitimate, especially within conservatism itself. I mean, political, American political conservatism is famous for exiling people. Oh, we're going to get rid of the John Birch Society. We're going to get rid of these people. We're going to get rid of those people. While they seem to like Catholic integralism, um, again, despite it being that, and again, you see today all the shrieking about extremism, all the shrieking about extremism, and yet here along comes a genuinely extreme ideology, and yet it's treated as legitimate. And so I want to give you a sense of how extreme some of these views are by reading a piece that was written by Adrian Vermeule in a site called Mirror of Justice in 2019. Apparently, this site is affiliated with Notre Dame's law school. Um, and again, you know, I'm not saying that Vermeule speaks for all of these guys. They have their own views. But just I'm just going to read this thing because it's kind of interesting. Quote, I want to suggest a principle of immigration priority that should, I hope, be broadly acceptable or at least intriguing for all right-thinking persons concerned that the current American immigration policy is racist and classist, explicitly or implicitly, de jure or de facto. The principle is to give lexical priority to confirmed Catholics, 
all of whom will jump immediately to the head of the queue. Yes, some will convert in order to gain admission. This is a feature, not a bug. This principle will disproportionately favor immigrants from Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Note here that the priority is for actual Catholics, not for applicants from historically Catholic countries. Relatively few Western Europeans will pass through the eye of the needle, and the Irish will be almost totally excluded. It will be disproportionately favor the poor and will draw no distinction between those seeking asylum based on fear of persecution and those fleeing mere economic hardship. It will, in effect, require opening the southern border of the United States, although immigration from Canada will rightly become a rare and difficult event, at least if we do not count a small subset of Quebecois. I venture to say that any opposition to this proposal almost necessarily defends some alternative principle of immigration priority that allocates fewer spots to non-whites and to the poor, and is thus a troubling indicator of racism and classism infesting whoever voices that opposition. We must overcome the know-nothing bigotry of the path. As the superb blog Simi Duplex observes, Catholics need to rethink the nation-state. We have come a long way but we still have far to go towards the eventual formation of the empire of Our Lady of Guadalupe and ultimately the world government required by national law, unquote. Now, again, is this a joke? Not really sure what it it may be. We could argue it's it's a joke. It seems to be a legitimate site. If anybody follows Remuel on Twitter, extreme, extreme statements are all over the place. In fact, This is vastly more extreme than anything put out by the Claremont Institute. I mean, Claremont is certainly within the American political tradition uh, by by far here. Uh, You start looking at, but look at the energy. Look at the incredible amount of energy that's being devoted to destroying and marginalizing Claremont and people affiliated with it. At the same time, all these guys who were saying totally wacky stuff are treated as legitimate. I mean, that's like, hmm, that's just another thing that makes you go, hmm, makes you go, hmm. And again, put it all together, and again, it does have something of the feel of an op, at least in the sense of advancing the cause of some other powerful group who sees integralism serving those aims. And so what is the function of the op, if we can say that it's an op? And I would say it's simple. The purpose of Catholic integralism, its functional purpose, is to collect and discharge all of the discontent that is out there with the regime, to discharge that in ways that are ultimately harmless to the regime itself that do not threaten it, right? Catholic integralism, again, it's alien to America. It has no constituency whatsoever. It's never going to happen, right? So every minute we spend talking about it, you know, every time we're engaging with those people and their ideas, we're taking time away from more productive activities that could actually advance the ball in some way in the world. And guess what? In that sense, the op is very effective. Here I am talking to you about Catholic integralism. And I hope it's the last time I ever talk to you about Catholic integralism. Uh, Because, you know, I really think, wow, here I am blowing an entire podcast talking about this thing. In some respects, if we're talking about them and at all, even if we're disagreeing with it, we are advancing their, their agenda and building them up. 
And also, I think it's interesting, you know, they have really been installed and elevated as key spokesmen for this sort of new right or post-liberal right or whatever you want to call it, right? And so other more potentially effective voices uh, with ideas that may be potentially more applicable to America um, somehow don't get, uh, don't get those prime speaking gigs, don't get all these articles written about them. And so in essence here, this is part of the, also part of the function of how Catholic integralism is designed to suck the oxygen of dissent out of the room. We're going to elevate these guys as essentially official spokesmen of dissent, you know, this group of clowns, if you will, and the people who might have ideas that are genuinely threatening to the regime or movements that are genuinely threatening to the regime, we're not going to have anything to do um, with them. I mean, again, I would say it's no accident that the American conservative hired so Rob Amari and not somebody from Chronicles, not somebody like Michael Anton, not one of these people, uh, you know, from American Greatness or one of the sites like that, you know, they specifically wanted to go get a Catholic integralist uh, to, to fill that job. And so I, I think, you know, this is part of how the oxygen gets sucked out of the room um, from other things. And so, uh, you know, that's what, I, and that's what I would say. And again, this idea of harmlessly discharging dissent, it's no surprise to me that Patrick Deneen is, you know, very friendly with these guys. When I read Patrick Deneen's book, Why Liberalism Failed, which is this scathing indictment of how liberalism is just horrible, it's complete failure, it's not that liberalism went wrong, it's that it's inherently bad from the word go, all these things, and yet his conclusion, what should we do about that, is explicitly, no, we should not try to replace liberalism with some other system, that would probably be literally Hitler. It would be bad. We don't want to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, let's just rebuild some small-scale communities. Let's go do the whole front porch republic thing, right? Let's, like, invade our neighbors over, create these little neo-Tocquevillian communities. Again, good things. I'm all supportive of that, 100% supportive of that. But that is not a threat to the regime. And so, in essence, his book is as much about delegitimizing uh opposition to the regime uh, as it is critiquing the regime. He's sort of saying, yes, liberalism is as horrible as you think. It might even be worse. Yet, really, there's nothing legitimate that can be done about that. Now, again, in fairness to him, you could take an esoteric reading of that text and say, hey, he has to say something like that because otherwise he'd lose his job. You know, they'd run him out of Notre Dame. He's got to be careful what he says. And that could be true. I mean, that could be true. I want to, I want to you know, acknowledge it's possible that he's, uh, you know, sort of like many of these, you know, historic writers as, uh, was it David Hume in an inquiry concerning natural religion where he, you know, he sets up this debate between people in which, you know, clearly the free thinker won. And then he's like, oh, you know, I see that the, 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 the good Christian guy won. And so, you know, he's trying to like, you know, maybe he's got to maneuver, right? He's got to maneuver. He's got to do these things. Uh, but I do think it interesting now that he's palling around with the integralist, you know, my willingness to believe that that's actually the case goes down because integralism, you know, really its function, as I see it, is to suck up all the oxygen out of the room from dissent and make sure that, le you know, legitimate, effective dissent is kind of subverted. So again, what would I do uh, about integralism? I'd say, let's, let's just try to ignore it. 
Uh, try not to get in fights with them. You know, try to avoid platforming, you know, um, elevating integralism as this great option. Uh, it's not a great option. It's a joke option. It's never going to happen. It's completely alien and foreign to Americans' political traditions, uh, as I keep going on and on and on and on about. Uh, and let's just try to, like, forget we ever heard about integralism. And um, and if you see it, which invariably you will, because, you know, these guys are all over the place and this thing's all over the place, try to remember the function, right? The function is to kind of neuter or denature dissent and convert it into essentially a harm, harmless theatrical form, uh, which is really what uh, Catholic integralism is. So thank you for listening, and until next week, I will talk to you later.